Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Newsletter Audiocast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Issue Number 36, which corresponds with the week of August 22nd of 2022. And this week, we look at lost friends, nutrition and mental health, and a video on cofactors. First, the free thoughts. Small efforts are often the key to any movement towards a goal. Kids leaving for college need to know this. It is the consistency and constancy of the little efforts that add up to success. Last-minute cramming is a recipe for long-term failure as retention is weak and understanding is limited. The Song of the Week, Love and Happiness by John Mellencamp. All right, so let's get started. Biome depletion theory, or what is otherwise known as biota alteration theory. When we look at risk of disease over time in humans, we need to take stock in what was supposed to be versus what is. If we become mismatched genetically to the environment that we find ourselves in, then we will begin to suffer disease. The work of Dr. William Parker and colleagues is very fascinating here. His understanding of our immune solvency takes us back to a time when macrobes, like parasites, lived with us in a semi-symbiotic way. Most of them were harmless, where few were pathogenic and caused us problems. This matters tremendously because as we are learning, the microbes that exist within us play a major role in tuning the immune system towards tolerance and effective pathogen killing. This refined understanding adds to a large body of evidence that we are too clean and not exposed to enough pathogens leaving us poorly tolerant of the normal and natural world. This poorly tolerant immune makeup leads to allergic and autoimmune type diseases. These are things like asthma, allergies, eczema, or lupus, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, thyroid disease. In the newsletter uh, at SalisburyPediatrics.com, you can see a figure that has a direct disease consequence of viral pathogens. And here we see many, many problems associated with the herpes viruses, especially including things like autoimmune encephalitis, autoimmune hepatitis, uh, and, and very other morbid, morbidity-based diseases. We look at uh, issues like rotavirus can cause uh, problems with celiac disease. We have now very well-known SARS-CoV-2 or the coronavirus family has downstream effects, including type 1 diabetes as a big one coming out now. So there is a direct link that we're learning over time based on immune function. Dr. Parker's group defines the term hygiene as a way of avoiding infection, and this has absolutely helped humans live longer and without the constant threat of early death from an infectious organism. The two types of hygiene are personal hygiene and systems hygiene, and they have very different effects on humans over time. Personal hygiene, including hand washing and social distancing, helps prevent transmission of many infectious diseases, especially viruses, including COVID-19 and the flu, as well as bacterial pathogens in school and on skin. Diseases prevented by personal hygiene are often dangerous and detrimental to immune function. Viruses that are prevented by hand washing and avoidance measures have significant positive effects on health as they are often the root cause of much inflammatory dysfunction in the human frame, as has been seen with SARS-2 COVID. Keeping your local environment clean helps prevent the inflammation-inducing factors that include mold, 
insect-derived allergens and toxins. Systems hygiene, on the other hand, describes the implementation of modern sanitation, including water treatment plants, sewage systems, and indoor plumbing. It also includes the modern food processing and storage technology that prevent the pathogens found in food from taking hold at a volumetric level that cause disease. An example here would be sewers that take the microbes of typhoid, cholera, and amoebic dysentery away from a central well or water source that could infect a whole village or city. The unfortunate trade-off to these forms of hygiene are the complete loss of parasitic organisms that have lived in the bodies of humans for thousands of years. Intestinal worms, called helminths, are one of the key species that have been all but driven extinct by systems hygiene in modern society. Although some worms are harmful parasites, many others cause little to no disease. In fact, the exposure to helminths appears to be necessary for healthy immune tolerance development and that absence of them leaves us susceptible to pandemics of chronic, non-infectious inflammatory diseases that we know of as allergy autoimmunity and most likely neuropsychiatric disease as well, including major depression, anxiety, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Dr. Parker believes that reductions in personal hygiene measures like hand washing cannot reverse the detrimental loss of helminths caused by systems hygiene, but would actually cause more infectious diseases such as COVID-19. These nasty viral infections could lead to more inflammation per person and eventually worsen their immune status, promoting autoimmunity and immune dysfunction. He states that we cannot live without systems hygiene. Loss of systems hygiene in modern society would, in theory, reverse the detrimental loss of helminths caused by that type of hygiene. However, the resulting waves of deadly infectious diseases would be catastrophic. Therefore, we are stuck in a pickle. Although I agree with this premise that viruses, we don't need to be constantly attacked by them because of that risk of inflammation. I have a little bit of a different take here because I think if you take care of yourself, you are eating well, sleeping well, minimally stressed, exercising regularly. I don't think viruses have much of a problem play for us. I think SARS-2 proved that very carefully in the past two and a half year pandemic, where we noted that the people that got the most sick and had the most problems, including death, morbidity, long COVID, all of the above, were people who had more underlying immune inflammatory dysfunction. So it is a catch-22 to say that we should just avoid viruses as much as we can, which again is impossible with COVID, but in some other viruses, yes, we can keep our hands washed, we can wear masks in clinic for myself, you know, and avoid these things. But I think the underlying answer for me always is immune solvency is most definitely best suited to be in play by eating healthy, whole foods diet, exercising, being minimally stressed and avoiding toxins. That makes the most sense to me on almost every level. Outside of that, I don't disagree with Dr. Parker's take that systems hygiene, although so important for preventing disease, has done some damage to us. What can we do to right this ship? Well, his group has a plan, you know, and he says, quote, the detrimental effects of the loss of intestinal worms called helminths caused by factors such as toilets and water treatment facilities can be readily reversed by the domestication of select helminth species and artificial enrichment of the human body with those organisms. Considerable evidence supports this view that such an effort would greatly reduce the burden of allergy, autoimmunity, and probably neuropsychiatric disorders 
currently experienced in high-income countries. It also seems very likely that these efforts would decrease the likelihood of having adverse reactions to infections with a wide range of viruses, including SARS-CoV-2. Work in the field of helminth therapy indicates that current trials based on pharmaceutical models fail to take into account critical issues, including individual-to-individual individual variation in the effective dose, risk-benefit ratios when selecting helminth species, and the importance of specific husbandry conditions when cultivating and pre preserving helminths. Trials need to be conducted with appropriate methods of production of helminths, dosing regimens designed for helminth therapy, and rational selection of helminth species. Although benign helmets are currently available for human testing, interest in conducting clinical trials is hampered by high costs and intellectual property issues. Given that therapies based on naturally occurring organisms cannot be patented, financial incentives for moving forward are lacking. In general, governments and research organizations need to focus on disease prevention by dealing with evolutionary mismatches rather than the treatment of disease by solely using pharmaceutical approaches. This principle applies to many facets of modern medicine, including how we deal with the adverse effects of a loss of helminths in our immune system. I couldn't agree more with him here again. I think the government has spent far too much of its resource capabilities on treatment of disease with pharmaceuticals instead of the upstream risk factors. I mean, the number one answer here is clearly food. The food we're feeding our kids in school, awful. The food we eat on a general basis, awful, subsidized by the, the farm bill, right? And then you could also, you know, look at toxin exposure. We're not doing anything about air pollution to the level we need to. You know, so the, the upstream risks are there, low-hanging fruit ready to be looked at instead of spending gobs of money on these downstream pharmaceutical drugs. To move on, Dr. Parker also had some timely questions and answers in the piece that I've pulled some of this information from. He says, quote, will one or two years of social distancing for COVID-19 crash our immune systems? Answer is no. The loss of particular organisms from within our bodies due to widespread use of sewage treatment facilities and water purification plants does indeed damage immune function and could lead to chronic inflammatory disease and probably adverse reactions to viruses such as SARS-CoV-2. However, reducing personal hygiene would have no effect on this problem, end quote. Next question. Is it possible to restore specific lost species in our body and simultaneously maintain hygiene to avoid pandemics of infectious disease? The answer is absolutely yes, in theory. There is no evidence to suggest that we need to be exposed to disease-causing organisms to have the appropriate array of organisms in our body for healthy immune function. We can domesticate the organisms we need, to introduce them to ourselves artificially. Long-standing evidence indicates that exposure to selected intestinal worms will be effective at reducing disease without causing health problems, if that solution can be implemented, end quote. Next question. What about gut microbiota, the bacteria? Can we use bacteria to help restore healthy immune function to our bodies? The answer is unknown. Our diets are the major drivers of microbiota community composition, and we don't know if it's possible to fix our microbiota without fixing our diets. Further, we do not know how important alterations in the microbiota are in terms of a causative agent of chronic inflammatory disease. End quote. Well, there you have it. That's a mouthful. However, after three plus years of deep study in immune system function, COVID, and humans, I think Dr. Parker is onto a bigger picture and a bigger part of the puzzle. I am, as you know, convinced that diet is a humongous piece of the immune solvency question. 
I also believe that humans are missing friends in the microbial and macrobial zones of life, including parasites and bacteria. I also believe that toxins are a major piece of the immune dysfunction puzzle. We need to start talking about how to reduce our exposure to toxins, whether it is through food as pesticides, in the air as all of the PM 2.5 micron particulate matter that's hurting us, or the toxins that we get through water. So we need to look at all of these avenues. I don't think there's a single magic bullet. You can read that article in Dr. Parker's piece in The Evolution of Medicine and Public Health. Section two, do lifestyle changes really make a difference in mental health? A study by Dr. Lowen, spelled L-O-E-W-E-N, and team noted that a population-based perspective study of over 3,400 10 to 11-year-olds could show that lifestyle behaviors were measured with the Harvard Food Frequency Questionnaire and self and parental proxy reports expressed as meeting recommendations for vegetables and fruit, grain products, milk and alternatives, meat and alternatives, added sugar, saturated fat, sleep, screen time, and physical activity. Mental illness was defined by physician-diagnosed internalizing, externalizing, and other psychiatric conditions. Negative binomial regression was used to determine the independent and cumulative associations of meeting lifestyle recommendations with physician visits for mental illness. Of all the participants, 12%, 67%, and 21% met 1 to 3, 4 to 6, or 7 to 9 recommendations respectively, and 15% had mental health diagnosis during follow-up. Compared with meeting one to three recommendations, meeting seven to nine recommendations associated with 56 fewer physician visits for mental health illness during follow-up. Every additional recommendation met was associated with a 15% fewer hospital visits or physician visits for mental illness. So for me, this is a study getting to the core of Dr. Kaplan's work. Bonnie Kaplan, one of the interviewees a few weeks ago, and I talked a lot about the biochemical and metabolic pathways needed and the respective cofactors involved in making optimal upstream and downstream nutrition-based neurologic function to improve a human's mood, mentation, and sense of well-being. So in my mind, feed the machine and it will perform for you. In section three, there's a link to a video that Dr. Kaplan did understanding the process of cofactors in the brain. I highly encourage you to click it and look at it. And again, that can be found at www.salisburypediatrics.com at the health and wellness tab, or you can subscribe to the newsletter and get it in written form to your email inbox on Monday mornings. Either way, hug those kids and have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.